Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. I'm so glad that you've joined us. Sisters, I hope you're doing well tonight. Welcome to the Freedom Girls Sisterhood. I'm your host, Dawn Scott Damon. I'm so glad that you've joined us tonight. Tonight I have a special treat for you. I'm going to join an interview that I did with Melissa Boggs, who is an executive woman who has done a great deal of study on the seven habits of highly effective people. I thought it was such a great time with her. I learned so much. I want to share that with you tonight because it is a biblically-based, principled-based way of attacking life. If you want to be free, if you want to be successful, you need to incorporate some good habits in your life. So stay tuned. Join us. In just a moment, we'll be going to that interview. But first, I want to remind you, I'd love to hear from you. Go to the Freedom Girl Sisterhood. That's freedomgirlsisterhood.com. Drop me a line. Let me know that you're listening. I'd just love to have a message from you. And also, you can sign up there for my newsletter. And I have a free download for you, a song, I Am Who He Says I Am. So now, stay tuned as we join the interview, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We're going to share some exciting things we announced last week. We're going to talk about the seven habits, the seven habits of highly effective people. Oh, one of my favorite topics. (laughs) Yes? Yes. And you are a highly effective person. Oh, well. You're very successful, and you're a go-getter, and you're the perfect person to be talking about this. So I hope that you will stay with us tonight, and if you know of anybody who can use this, pick up the phone and call them. We talked about it just a moment ago. Is this just for individuals? Is this just for business people? Who needs to benefit from the seven habits? Well, so many people see this being Stephen Covey's um, report in his book that he was so successful at, and they think, well, this is for leadership. This is for companies. This is for business. But he even states in his book, and you will find when you go through these, that this is so essential and so important for a Christ-centered biblically-based model for families, for marriage, for relationships in your church, in your community. It is just, it's essential, and it it is. It it holds godly principles up, which I think is just fantastic, especially how it's just gone through the business society and the business So I've heard you use the word principle a couple of times. This isn't a passing fad. It's just not another idea to sell books. This is principle-based. It's a way of living. It's a lifestyle. What what do we mean when we say principle-based? I mean, what what is that saying? These aren't just some fly-by-night good ideas. These are based on integrity, values, these seven habits that we're getting ready to share? Yes. And, you know, the big question, because this book was written back, I think, in the 70s or 80s. I can't remember exactly. But people often say, well, does this still apply? Mm-hmm. And if it does, does, will this apply in 10 years? Will this apply in 20 years? And the truth is, yes, as our world gets more complicated, as hurt and and feeling of inefficiency as things just keep getting more technical, I think getting back to these principles, these character principles, is so, so important. And so principles are something that you develop and that you establish in yourself that do not change, mm-hmm. not like goals or 
and sometimes even values, but principles do not change. And they're the essence of a good character, a good, um, well, what we find and what we'll see in our program is that they're God-centered principles. They're what we know are spiritual laws. Mm-hmm. They're know that we rest mm-hmm. in through what we know biblically and what God gives us. So, mm-hmm. no, they don't change. And you use the word spiritual laws. I mean, there are laws that are in effect in our world that whether you believe them or not, they're still laws. I guess one illustration of that would be gravity. Right. Somebody say, well, you know, hey, you know, I think it's overrated. I don't believe in gravity. So you go and you jump off a 10-foot story building. <laughs> I don't think that you've defied gravity because you don't believe in it. You've illustrated gravity. Right. And it's a law that works. And when you say these are principles, it's really something that whether you believe it or not, it's still in operation. It's a principle that works. And if you'll apply wisdom and apply the principle, you'll find success in your life. Right. And sometimes it's as easy as that. We can make life so complicated. Mm-hmm. We can look at emotions and situations and circumstance and get so lost in it all. Mm-hmm. But when you just exhale, step back, and go back to what principle defines this, mm-hmm. your answers are sometimes so easy and so obvious that mm-hmm. y- you know you can just move forward. Mm-hmm. And what, one of the things that when I was reading the book that jumped out at me was that Many of us live our life by default, mm-hmm. and things just kind of happen. And maybe we stumble into success, or we stumble into opportunities, and we just accidentally become successful. And the principle is that if we'll be intentional, if we'll plan, and if we live by design and not default, then we'll find that we're more fulfilled, we're at peace, we're not at the mercy or the tyranny of the urgent constantly um, at work in our life, which is not to say that it won't still be there. Right. But we're not going to be the victim of life. We're going to be the initiator of life. And um, I know that's going to bring us to our first habit here in just a moment. <laughs> but I love the idea of living by design and having a plan. And even when we were reading the book, he talked about having a personal mission statement. Can you talk to us just about that for a moment? Well, I I know that you are an expert at lining up companies and, and organizations to go forward. Whoop, that's what an administrator does. And the basis of that is to define what your mission statement is. You need to see your goal. I mean, you need to see, and it's not really a goal. It's It's just who you are. It's what your company what your family, what you as a person stands for. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to have a clearly concise mission statement. And then you follow that up with the principles mm-hmm. behind it, mm-hmm. which, you know, is another step in that process. And, and it is. It's the first step in in succeeding in in what Stephen Covey is presenting us. Yeah, and I know, you know, we say, well, that's a no-brainer. Every every ministry has to have a mission statement. Every company has to have a mission statement. Somebody once said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So you don't really know what you're about if you've not clearly identified and defined your mission. But oftentimes, individuals don't realize they should have a mission statement. Well, it's true, and I know that even if like if we want to stay to business, if your mission statement and your um, 
goals and principles don't line up with your companies or if you don't know how you fit into that company, you know, you're not going to travel together. You're not going to feel fulfilled. You're mm-hmm. not going to, really, you're probably not going to succeed mm-hmm. because they're not going to identify you as somebody that they need or that, you know, walks with. It doesn't develop trust or anything. Mm-hmm. So for your for your goals in your workplace, you really need to have that. Now, as a person, as a family member, I heard, and it, and it was in, um, I think it was a tape that he had done, There was one gentleman whose mission statement was, and I think he was probably in his 40s, that I want my children to have great relationships with their cousins, and I want this to continue in my family so that after I and my wife are gone, that they will still have those relationships and continue what this family stands for. Wow. That's simple. That's, That's essence. That's he had then strategically planned how he was going to make that yeah. happen. I mean, once you say that, I mean, what a unique mission statement anyways for a family. But he's talking about legacy and and keeping the generations together and remembering where they've come from. But how unique is that? But once you stated that just now, it took it out of the abstract. It took it out of the invisible atmosphere, and all of a sudden it became concrete, something that I could visualize as you were saying it. And I thought, what a great idea. I could implement that. But see how uh, defining and identifying a mission statement just gave me an idea, and now I'm probably more likely to see something like that happen Mm -hmm. than had we never spoken about it before. I mean, obviously that's logical, but... That's the power of it. That's the power of it. I mean, we all, certainly we all want that. Sure, I want that in my family too. But will I be proactive mm-hmm. in in doing that? Will I develop things in my family, with my family, as a unit? If that's put before us, how do we arrive at that? So getting together is going to be more important. Mm-hmm. Recognizing events you know, in their lives is going to become more important. Family dinners, um, correspondence. I mean, it just sets you on the track to accomplish it. It's it's great. And I'm excited. We're going to um, get started in just a moment. We're going to continue with our introduction because there's another question that I have to ask you. I know we're going to take a break in just a moment, but it's very exciting. And I think as a result, it's Experts tell us they say you are 60% more likely to accomplish a thing once you've written it down, or like we're saying, you take it out of the abstract. Sure, I believe that, but now that I've heard it articulated, now that I've established that and written it down, I'm, I'm, I've just doubled my percent that it's going to take place and it's going to happen. Uh, friends, you don't want to miss this tonight. It's going to be good. You know, I have to tell you this. We did a temperament Study last night we did some training on the DISC personality. You're sitting with two sanguines or <laughs> influencers, the um, I temperament of the DISC, and we're using our hands a lot here in the <laughs> studio to talk. So if you're hearing clunking and tinging and banging around, uh, we're not washing dishes. We're, we're talking. Yeah, we're just hitting everything. We're just hitting. No, i got to tell you, when I have a sore throat, my hands are so... <laughs> So limp. They just, they don't work. It's all connected. (laughs) You said something during the break to me that I want to bring out for the listener. You talked about the goal or one of the progresses that you make when you're going through this is from dependence 
to independence to interdependence. Tell us what that means and what we're talking about. Okay. Well, we all start from a place of dependence. You know, we are dependent on the people around us, on our environment, on, you know, how we've been raised. There are all these things that happen, and and you reach out to people, and and you um, glean from people, and all of that is great, and it's good. But if you want to step forward, you need to start becoming independent. So the first three habits are taking you to independence. Okay. You know, it's it's self-reflective. It's 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 gaining what you need um, yourself kind to succeed. The uh, process of individuating, as we call it, becoming an individual, becoming independent and right. sound within yourself. Right, and learning to to be able to stand there. Now, the next step, and and what Covey reminds us is that. Being independent is great, and it's the basis that you need. I mean, you need to be independent before um, you really are ready for a relationship. Hmm. You know, if you go into a relationship still being dependent, mm-hmm. you're going to be looking for at them for all your needs. You fill my needs. So when you're when you're dependent and then you get in a relationship, isn't that called now I'm codependent? <laughs> exactly, okay. exactly. You need to be independent first. In fact, to the point where you need to... You need to be able to be alone first. You need to be okay in your singleness or your right. aloneness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's true in business. You need to have that foundation and those fundamentals that you could, if you needed to, conduct the meeting, do the work, reach the outcome by yourself. Wow, okay. You know, you need mm-hmm. that confidence. You that's how, mm-hmm. That gives you value. Mm-hmm. Um, again, even with parenting, you know, Okay. How can you teach something you don't know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so you need to be independent. Now, the ideal we can't all, we can't work in society. We can't work completely in a family. We can't work in a marriage, and we cannot work in a business holding on to that. We can't stay there, can we? We can't, and so many people do. I mean, you get that authoritative. It's my way. It's it's or the highway. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to do it. My that way is the only way that's right because it makes sense to me and I've worked really hard and I just know the outcome if it goes anything else and I'm going to hold on to that. My ideals, my it's all about me, mm-hmm. my thoughts, my opinions. I don't want to collaborate. Right. It's my deal. Many times you think that's somebody who's just so secure and a lot of times that's somebody who's so insecure. Mm-hmm. But interdependence means, and I love it when it happens, when you can go into a meeting and... Before you go in, you haven't concluded how this is going to go. But you glean from each person in there what they're thinking, where they're coming from, and the idea develops Mm -hmm. into something, a new creation you never would have thought of Mm -hmm. from all of the people around you. And that's, that's confidence. That's true security. You have to be a very secure leader to do that. You do. And... Let me ask this question because for the listener and even for me as I'm listening to you, I think the an, another thought or another paradigm of business in probably falsely so is that if you're not able to come up with the ideas, you're not being a good leader. If you don't mm-hmm. come in there prepared with the conclusion in mm-hmm. mind or with the goal, if you come in this open-minded thing as you're suggesting, 
lot of times people would say you're not you're not a good leader right and that kind of blows that out of the water it really does and it's funny because we said that first you have to be able to do that you do have to be able to do that but to move forward and to take your company forward not only have you created something new and special everyone owns it Everyone's going to buy into it. Buy-in is huge. Everyone's going to feel loyalty to it, mm-hmm. and they're going to be empowered to move forward and carry it through. Because it was our idea. It was our idea. And so now we're not victims of change. And we're not just the implementers. We're the initiators and the innovators, and we're doing this together with you. Right. Okay. And the leader helps facilitate that. The leader helps build people up and, and, and bring in those thoughts and bring in that confidence in the room that this is an open, safe place to do that. I want to hear what you're thinking, and everyone has value. Again, you need to do that in a family. I was just having that very thought. Yeah, you have to do that in a family. It isn't that, oh, look at her, she does everything, you don't do anything right, or can't you be like your sister, or your brother would never have done that, or, Mm -hmm. you know, when we were young, we never would have gone in that direction. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew a couple, in fact, they, they are, he's, he's a CEO of a hospital here in this area, and his wife, who actually sit down once a year and have meetings with their family. And because he's a CEO at the hospital, he takes the kids into the boardroom. And oh, he's very done good. this since they were little. Wow. And they as a family decide what their goals are that year. Mm-hmm. They decide where they're going to give their extra money. He puts their budget mm-hmm. in front of them and says, this is what we have. These are our expenses. This is our giving budget. You know, this is our saving budget. That's huge. And the kids, since they were little, have been a part of this process. And he said that the ideas that my children have brought to the table, my wife and I stand back and and are just blessed by it and how much they want to give, how they want to maybe move some more money into that giving budget, how they want to contribute. That family reaches their goals probably 99% of the time. Well, that's just a crazy thought. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, so the flip of that is – I was somewhere the other day, and this family had their children, and the, and the little child was three years old, and the older one was four, and they're standing at the counter, and they're saying, okay, do you want the honey wheat, or do you want the cinnamon? And I'm thinking, just get them. <laughs> I was, like, trying to be patient in the line behind mm-hmm. I'm like, the three-year-old doesn't know what they want. And besides, I'm not sure they've earned the right to make a decision. You tell them. I mean, they want the Fruit Loops. What do you think they want? <laughs> so where's the balance in that? And yet I do know as a parent and as a parent that studied and read these things that the way to build self-esteem mm-hmm. and that confidence and that individuality in your children is to give them voice and opinion appropriately so. Right. And, you know, there were times when I remember them telling me they didn't meet their goals, hmm. you know, and, and they allowed some of it to happen. The family, the parents allowed it to allowed happen. Allowed it to happen because there was so much learning in that. And, okay, now how do we overcome? Now we're not only not at our goal, we're behind our goal. We have to make up to our goal to set new goals, whatever. Mm-hmm. So in a marriage, I mean, do you really take the time to sit down and say, what, who are we? What is our mission statement? You know, what are the goals that we want to have? You know, it's not just the husband leading the wife following. That's not even how Christ set it up or God set it up. Wait a minute. I'm hanging on to the edge of my chair. (laughs) Are you kidding? It's not 
The husband's not supposed to say my way or the highway. There you go. I'm being facetious. It's it's a partnership. It's a partnership. You're doing life together. That's where you take love as a verb. It's not this emotional thing. It's not he's going to fulfill all my needs and she's going to, you know, fulfill mine. It's a partnership. You're doing life together. It's a covenant relationship that you've committed to that he has responsibility, you have responsibility, you have gifts and talents that come in, but you need to lead a purposeful life. And a mission statement, as corny as that sounds, no, and I agree. your principles and your plan are as important in your marriage. And what a great thing at the end of the year to sit back and go, where are we and what have we accomplished in all areas of our life? It's not just finances, it's spiritual places, it's, it's giving, it's um, in our family, in our relationships. So there's so much power in that. And and friends, listen, there's so much comfort in not just flying blind. And I'm not talking about being in control. We're going to talk about the circles of control. We're going to talk about the lens of your paradigm in a moment. But there's Something that says it reduces anxiety, it reduces stress. I'm not just floundering. I, I have a goal. I have a plan. I have a principle-based life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just wasting time and space and energy in this world. God's got me here. He's got me if I'm in a marriage or if I'm in a business. I'm on assignment. We have a vision. We're identifying it and articulating it together. And to me, it's almost like retirement planning. Right. It's like anything else, that there's a comfort and a peace in knowing that we've thought it out. We're we're living by design, not by default. It's not chaos and pandemonium. We got a goal. There's order. And, you know, when Christ sent out his disciples, he sent them out sometimes in pairs. Two by two. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. sometimes there were groups of them. And they were interdependent. Not only interdependent on each other, I mean, some had weaknesses, some had strength. There was purpose in how they were put together, mm-hmm. and they had goals, and they, they had order. Mm-hmm. And, and even their interdependence with Christ himself, they never did it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you, can't, you are not an island, you are not a mountain, you're not created to be, and you're not meant to be. Mm-hmm. And when you can go to be an independent, and get that confidence and that ability up there and then release yourself to be interdependent. It's exactly how Christ created you to be. That's a beautiful thing. Well, we're going to keep talking about it. For all of those of you who sing the song, I did it my way. (laughs) Hang in there. Keep listening. You might be singing a different song when it's all over. We'll be right back. Seven Habits of highly effective people. We're going to get into habit number one in just a second. Um, I want you to define for us what a habit is in a moment. But you said something again that we didn't touch on yet. How do we identify our paradigm or what's our starting point? Talk, Talk to me about that just for a little bit. Well, I think it's really important when you're developing your plan for your family or for your company or your marriage or even for your singleness you know, your pursuits and what your goals are, that you understand that we all see things differently. You know, and many people will say, well, you see things um, by experience, by how you were raised. Um, 
your environment, mm-hmm. your circumstances. Sometimes your genetics, the way you're hardwired Absolutely. causes a viewpoint. Oh, yeah, and we, we, we've gotten into that. There's all different personalities and strengths that we have in our personalities, and it's true. So what you're thinking about and what you're seeing is that you don't look at what you're what somebody might be viewing, you look at the lens from which they are viewing it from. And that is something that you'll have to understand and develop and come to with observation, with patience, and always seeking to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, not putting any kind of assumption. And that's, that's really a talent because we jump quickly to how we expect people to see things. and how we view them from our perspective. So let me interrupt because I'm not sure I'm following clearly. Are we talking about when we're sitting perhaps in a room and we're collaborating and ideas are coming or we're in a family meeting or a marriage Mm -hmm. or whatever, that I'm not only just looking at the goal or the, the thing down the road that I have in mind, but I'm listening to the person and I'm understanding their lens, their frame of reference, Mm -hmm. where they're coming from. So I'm not just listening to what they're saying, but trying to understand, or am I missing it? No, that's exactly it. So often when we're discussing things and and trying to develop a plan, we really aren't listening. Ah, you know, get to the truth. I'm sorry, could you say that again? I wasn't (laughs) listening. We really aren't listening. (laughs) What we're doing, in fact, you'll find that many times when there's a group talking or a couple talking, when somebody speaks and you hear what they have to say, this thing starts happening where you will speak what you think, and then instead of listening to the next comment, you are thinking about what you're going to say next. Mm-hmm. You're really not listening to them. I mean, you will miss totally things, total in total, things people are trying to express to you because you're so wrapped up in either getting your point across or rebuffing what they just said, mm-hmm. or worrying that they're not going to go in your direction, that you don't hear them. And, and we need to listen to understand mm-hmm. without what we have in our head. So what's important is, um, and I call that kind of level one listening, where you're just listening surface to the, the actual words being spoken. But that person is bringing with their comments a frame of reference, an experience, a bend, a a disposition, and so we should be listening more three-dimensional because they they have an experience or a background or something that their words become more weighty and more mm-hmm. important to us when I understand where it's coming from. And you don't have that frame of reference. And I so I couldn't possibly think that way. And it's valuable. It is because they're like somebody else. I mean, you are not an island, again. Mm-hmm. And if you don't bring in all of that to your conclusion and to your decision and to your goals, you will be mm-hmm. missing a piece. Mm-hmm. And it's so important. There is a story that um, Covey had in his book that just took me back. Um, this gentleman had gotten on a train, and he was off to work, and he had you know, an important day ahead of him. He was in a suit. He was... Um, He just needed that time to relax and collect his thoughts. And a young man, probably about 30 years old, steps into the train with his two sons. And he comes in, he sits down, and these kids are running up and down the aisles. I mean, they are bugging everybody, just being totally undisciplined, 
distracting, rude. It's probably not even safe. And he just couldn't believe. I mean, and there were others you could tell that were just looking at this man. Why aren't you taking care of these children? How can you let them behave this way? Get them under control. Yeah, and people are just irritated. And, and you know, the tension is just growing to the point where they said, you know, what is going on? You know, what is going on? Aren't you going to control your children? Mm-hmm. And the man looked at him and said, their mom just died. Mm-hmm. We just left the hospital. And I don't even really know what to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nobody from that moment on was upset. Right. Everyone gave him grace. Mm-hmm. Everyone felt something for this man and for those kids. They were no longer a distraction and an irritant, but they were wounded. They were hurting. They didn't know how to behave right now. They didn't understand. And everything in that environment changed because mm-hmm. understanding came. Right. They adjusted instantly. The stress was gone. The irritation was gone. Instead, understanding brought comfort, wisdom, help. Mm-hmm. They started talking to the kids. Right. Giving them candy, whatever. Mm-hmm. And as a community, they took care of things because they understood. Mm-hmm. And how often in our day and age, with the smallest of things, if you take it from a marriage where the husband doesn't quite understand yet where the wife has been and what she has done in a new marriage and why she reacts that way. I mean, a husband who uses his hands to make an, you know, a, a point, you know, this is, means I'm serious and I'm excited about what I'm going to say, and a wife whose father may have beat his her mother, mm-hmm. and that's where it started. Mm-hmm. So she just withdraws she and reacts. she shuts down. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not something you might, it might not have even brought up in marriage counseling or in their relationship. Mm-hmm. You just, it, it's just viewing things from their lens and trying to find that place where you don't even have to know mm-hmm. exactly what happened, but understand that if that person's in the room with you and you respect that person, that there's a reason why they think that way and it has value. And you know, go find Absolutely. out why. We have to do that all the time as a pastor in a church. Mm-hmm. We have to do that not only with people, with generations. And so we recognize when we're working with the builder generation, those that maybe went through the depression and it's right. getting to be fewer and fewer, but or the baby boomers mm-hmm. or Gen X. You know, we understand when they're coming to us with something that they're saying, we listen and we're taking all those things into consideration. And their age and their generation mm-hmm. is another thing to weigh. Yeah. It goes right along with if you're going to have a group in business, you want to have a group that's eclectic. You know, you want a group that comes from a lot of different um, backgrounds, ethnicities, work experiences, different places they fit into the company. Um, because you are, in almost every business, representing a customer. Mm-hmm. And that customer is varied. So remember, each has value. Each has value. And then when you look at that, you've got the whole. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're coming up with, as you said, the best ideas, mm-hmm. things that blow you away. You didn't think of that. And even as a leader, yes, I do have my thought. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I am able to run this corporation or know where we need to go. I see the vision. I see the direction, and maybe I'll influence that group a little bit, 
but open enough to understand and to take it all in because when I leave that meeting, I'm going to have a better idea. Well, what's really exciting is let's go one more level. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's be wild. When you're in that room and you've let go of what you thought had to happen and you're letting everyone bring in what they have, Mm -hmm. you've also allowed God to work. Ah. And if we're too hung up with what we want and what Mm -hmm. we think is right, where is God in any of it? Mm -hmm. You just let the Spirit work, and He works with everybody. Mm -hmm. He's not selective. It's not always going to be the leader that has, you know, the idea. He can work and bring an idea into the person who's probably, in our standards, least qualified, least representative, you know, least if you've provided the atmosphere of everyone being uncomfortable to speak and put an input. He will use the least sometimes. Mm many times, Mm -hmm. to bring the most amazing idea you could have never come up with on your own. And that's just sweet. I love when that happens. I've been in places that I've just experienced that yesterday where as we opened and as it became safe and everybody took the mask off and everybody understood this was a good place we Mm -hmm. could do that, you watch it bubble up. You, You can literally see with spirit eyes, but you also comprehend as you're talking and you're sharing this theme, this idea begins to take shape and it molds in front of you and you said, I think we've got something. What, what do you think? This feels good. We feel, and, and, you, and you know it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. For me as a Christian, mm-hmm. I certainly recognize that, the power of how God pulls that and tugs on that and brings that and pretty soon there you have your vision, your idea, your mission, your goal, whatever it is. Well, that has been such a great interview. We lied to you. We didn't get to habit number one. We're going to pick that up next week, right where we left off. I hope that you've enjoyed this. It's been good for me to hear it again as well. Stay tuned next week where we pick up habit number one on the Freedom Girls Sisterhood. God bless you, sisters. Stay free, live full, and enjoy God's blessing. This is Dawn Scott Damon. I'll see you next week.